So, um, <laughs> this morning's a fun topic. But if you're a guest with us this morning, before we jump into that fun topic, um, I just want to make sure that you know that at Uniontown, this isn't our main priority. Um, I'm answering this, if you don't know, I'm answering this question because we were asked this question in the series. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. We have had an awesome day at Uniontown already. (laughs) First service, we had gremlins in the system, uh, and every time I touched the pulpit, it made this weird noise. So get ready. Here we go. All right, we're good. We're good for now. See what happens. (laughs) Um, Anyway. Uh, if you're a guest with us, let me explain to you why we're doing this. So we did a, um, we got about uh, 55 questions submitted from our congregation. We then turned them around and gave them back to our congregation and said, why don't you vote on which ones you think we should answer? And so we took the top 10 vote getters. Today is number four in the list, and it is about the role of women in the church. If you're a guest with us, you're like, oh, this place, uh, it's one of those churches. This ain't us. This is not, I have no desire at all to do this message. However, um, <laughs> I don't have any options. You voted, and I have integrity. So I do want you to know this, though. What we are really about is what Christ has done for us. So even this issue, the role of women in the local church, that's not a primary issue. It's not a first-level Issue. It's not the thing that we're most concerned about. It's not a, a gospel issue. What is, is this. Every single one of us is a sinner. And as a result of our sin, we are separated from God. And none of us can do anything about that separation on our own. But God loved us. And he sent a son for us. And so if we would reject all other hopes of salvation and all other things and put our faith, hope, trust, and confidence in Jesus and in Jesus alone, then we can be at peace with God. And that's what we're about. That's what we're excited about. That's what we're enthusiastic about. That's what we sing about. I know this may not, you may not believe me, we don't have any songs about the role of women in the church. I'll probably come up with a couple. I'm not sure I should, but. Uh, So instead, um, that, that's what we're actually uh, about. So the questions before you, here we go. What's the biblical understanding of the role of women in the church? It appears that the culture of the people who wrote the Bible was one of male dominance and that God approves of male leadership. So is that cultural, God-ordained, or both? Okay, so some of you will listen this morning and you will think I'm trying to do my best impression of Ward Cleaver. Way too conservative, right? Some of you, on the other hand, in the middle of the message may begin to think, it all started with the untucked shirt. (laughs) Now he's a liberal. Um, (laughs) Get rid of those labels for me. Understand this morning is not about... Uh, here's a picture for you, okay? So our, our responsibility, my responsibility as your pastor is to point your attention to Jesus. It's that you fix your eyes on him, that you would fix your eyes on what God has said and what he has commanded for you and encourage you to obedience in that direction without paying attention 
to the road you're standing on. Let me explain. If we walk this road and we're so focused on simply staying in the middle of the road because we don't want to be called a liberal, we certainly we don't want to be called conservative, we, we want to be in the middle of the road. And if we do that, what happens is we're, we're so focused on the road, we're doing this to stay in the middle of the road, and we've not fixed our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. Instead, what our responsibility to do as as followers of Jesus Christ, and what I want to encourage you to do as followers of Jesus Christ, is fix your eyes on him. Don't worry about the road. And you just keep walking towards him. And you know what's going to happen? The road beneath your feet is going to continue to do this. And so there will be moments people will look at you and say, you're standing on the right side of the road. And then other moments, you're on the left side of the road. Well, faithful obedience to Jesus Christ will cause that. So today, let's fix our focus and attention on what God has called us to. Um, to go to Genesis chapter 1. Um, I want to kind of give you a, a foundational text passage that we can kind of launch out of. Um, <clears throat> I assure you, if you're sitting here this morning and you're uncomfortable, uh, you have no reason to be. Um, uh, this is, there, there is no hellfire brimstone about the role of women in the church. Uh, we are simply going to look at a couple of scriptures, and we're going to tell you what Uniontown Bible Church believes, the elder team believes. I, as the mouthpiece of the elder team, have the opportunity to stand up here and take the shots for them, so here we go. Um, if you want to slash tires, go after Mark's car, would you? <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, let me start reading in verse 26, and it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. I'm going to stop there. So so understand this. When you look at the beginning of verse 26, you see a difference. You see the creative work of the triune God in the lives of humanity. And there's a shift that happens here. Whereas before in creation, what God was saying is, let there be light. Let there be light. A firmament. Let there be, and he continued to command into existence these things. But when you come to the moment where he creates male and female, it's no longer just speaking that into existence. It is a personal, hands-on involvement where God in his triune nature says, let's make humanity. Man, when you see the word man in verse 26, even the beginning of verse 27, God created man in his own image. That is not talking gender or sex. That is talking humanity. God created humanity in his image. And then it further clarifies the end of verse 27. He created them male and female. These are not only distinctly different from the rest of creation, but male and female are distinctly different from each other. Okay, then you get to verse 28 and you have what theologians call the cultural mandate. You have this moment where, where God commands the people, uh, Adam and Eve, and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to rule the fish of the sky and the, the birds, uh, sorry, the fish of the sea. If you have fish in the sky, you got a problem. Uh, <laughs> fish of the sea. 
Birds of the sky, every creature that crawls on the earth. And he says, okay, so, so this, is, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill this earth. I want you to be, that's part of the cultural mandate. And the other side of it is I want you to rule over creation as my agent. I want you to do those things. And so what we need to understand is in this moment, both male and female are necessary to accomplish that cultural mandate as God created them. Flip ahead to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. So just, just imagine with me for a moment. You are standing in the middle of perfection. Not influenced by sin in any way. Perfection. And God has created everything perfect. And even in the perfect garden, male and female are in need of each other. God looks at Adam and he says, This is not Good. In the Hebrew language, one of the uh, signs of emphasis is you take a word and you put it in a different place than you would expect. In this sentence, it's not good that man should be alone. That phrase, not good, is moved to the beginning of the sentence for emphasis so that anybody reading the Hebrew, it would say, not good. Man's alone. That is not good. Right? So he continues, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Okay, that word helper has gotten beat up over the years. There's a, a number of people, a certain uh, category of people who see that as just being, just that is so offensive, so abrasive. I mean, woman is subordinate to man because man needs a helper, so she's what, just his little helper? No, you need to understand the Hebrew word there. The word is ezer. Ezer. That word ezer is primarily used of God as he helps Israel. We sing a song that mentions it. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. The idea is God has helped me. That's why I've survived this far. And so, so saying that, God has helped me. He is my ezer. Is God my subordinate? Absolutely not. What God did was he brought into my life what I needed in order to accomplish what God had called me to. So as God has identified that it's not good that man be alone, and God has identified that he wants to bring a helper to a man, he does this. Look at verse uh, um, 19. Lord God had formed out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Just for the record, he's not like Steve, Bill. He's actually naming the animals, Okay. Now, as he goes through this list of animals, verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, every wild animal, for the man, after naming all the animals, for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So after Adam has gone through all of the animals, not a single one is a satisfactory completer. And as, as Adam is naming them, what he is in essence doing is he is looking at each animal and he is proclaiming them different than himself. Different than himself. No helper is found. So verse 21, the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man. And that man slept. And God took one of his ribs and he closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this one, at last, is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. 
this one will be called woman, for she was taken from a man. So after seeing that there is no satisfactory helper for Adam in any of the animals, God puts Adam to sleep, removes the rib, and then creates woman. Adam wakes up, and his response is awe. I mean, you could hear that emotion. I mean, maybe he didn't realize how alone he was and how much he needed that, that completer in his life until he laid eyes on her, and he was like, finally, this one. This one is bone of my bone. This one is the same as I am. All those other animals were different. This one is the same. So I wanted to get that in your head before I walk through uh, a chart with you. Um, I'm going to say at the onset that this chart can seem intimidating. Um, Don't feel like you need to jot it all down at once. It's going to be up there the rest of the message, Lord willing. Um, This chart is going to help us walk through four different categories of thought and philosophy when it comes to answering the question, what is the proper role of women in the local church? Uh, I will be very honest with you that I need to walk through this chart in very broad brushes. Um, There are so many specifics that it would take literally hours upon hours to get through all of the information. I also need you to remember that as we talk about each individual label, and you look at each individual circle on the chart representing each place uh, of belief, that you need to understand those circles may seem small, they're actually huge. They cover an enormous amount of thought and territory, and so there are people who are in the same circle with other people, and yet they disagree with each other on a lot of facts. So it's a very broad thing. Let me actually probably put the chart up there so you have a clue what I'm talking about. Here you go. So this is, this is the chart that we're going to use this morning. A fellow named Guy Mason did a version of this. I adapted a little bit and tweaked a little bit of it just to kind of help, hopefully help us be able to follow this around. The white box is what is considered biblical Christianity. That would be the, those, those, those evidences, those facts, those proofs, those um, uh, the, the, the verses, the, the text, the context, all the teaching that would fall within what is considered biblical Christianity. Two of them are just locked right in the middle of that. Two of them would be at the extreme edges. I know for some of you, seeing some of those words on the screen, you are already clutching your chest. We're going to be okay. All right? So let me, let me walk through this real quick. Just, I'm going to deal with the two that really we don't have a ton of interaction with, one more than the other, which I'll point out later on. Um, the first one I will deal with is on the extreme on this side, and it is feminism. A Christian feminist is one that seeks to define and defend equal rights of women in all spheres of life, whether that be politically, economically, socially, or spiritually. Um, With many women in the feminist circle, there is a great skepticism, um, a fear. Often, uh, it's marked by great anger. And to be honest, the skepticism, fear, and anger are often a reaction to some terrible but very real circumstances and experiences in the life of that woman. Um, Many who fall in the feminist circle 
will define anything that is available to a man but not available to a woman as hostile. They will look at those things, and, and this is one of the key words in the feminism camp is oppression. And so they will view this as, uh, if it's available to man but not woman, then that is going to certainly lead to oppression. Now for our discussion, role of women in the church, it's, it's a little different because what well, we had to look at kind of the, the spiritual side of it, and they, they attempt to root their belief system, some of the Christian feminists, uh, in the Bible, but not the entire Bible. It's important you know that. They, they, they take some verses from the Bible and they attempt to use that as the, the foundation of their belief. The reason is they don't see Scripture as infallible, they don't see Scripture as inerrant, and they don't see Scripture as a valid source of authority. What they do see Scripture as is a book that was written to protect the position and power of men, and a book that's corrupt. So they would look at something like Genesis 1, 27, 28 that we just read. They would read that and they would see male and female. He created them and he, they would say there is no difference in male or female. So, so when the church seeks to make a difference between the two, it's actually all, them, all they're doing is trying to demean women and to elevate men. Now, to be clear... When the, uh, you read Christian feminists and they complain about the church, most often they're speaking directly about the Roman Catholic Church. However, in the last 10 to 20 years, that shift has been made, and now they're making their accusations against evangelical churches. Um, a large portion of Christian feminism would actually fall outside of what we would define as biblical Christianity. But some of it, is within biblical Christianity. Their view of Genesis 1, 27 and 28, that male and female are created with the same dignity and value in God's eyes, that is absolutely accurate. However, what they will then do is overemphasize the place of women, and they will stop seeing God's good design of distinction, and they even carry it as far as demonizing masculinity and all things male, while deifying something that they call the sacred feminine. And so we would have disagreement with that circle of feminism. We, we would have disagreement because they believe the role of women in the church is that women are not only eligible for all positions in leadership and in activity, but any other aligning of women underneath the authority of men is actually a form of oppression. And so that would be the, the view of the, the feminists. On the other side of the chart, and the exact opposite belief system would be something that's called patriarchy. Uh, patriarchy says this, God has ordained a specific family order. This family order must be followed in every single area of life. They would root their beliefs in three key areas. The first one is this, the masculinity of God. God's primary characteristic for us to embrace is the fact that God is masculine. Okay, now, I'll be honest with you, I gotta interact with some of the things in this one um, there's a few reasons for that, and I'll answer that later. Um, all of God's titles throughout Scripture are, in fact, masculine. So, so they're absolutely accurate there. The problem is, is that this group of patriarchalism, they, they, they overemphasize those masculine titles, and in essence, they make the claim that in the, 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 the landscape of gender and sexuality, that the male sex, the male gender, is the primary sex, because God is a man. Okay, so first thing, God is a spirit. 
He does not have a biological being. Okay, now, while all of his titles are, in fact, masculine, not all of his behaviors would be described as male. You've got the text in Deuteronomy 32 where it says, God gave birth to you. Not very masculine. Okay? Hosea 13.8 says, God's judgment will be like a mama bear looking for her lost cubs. Isaiah 66 says, just like a mom comforts her son, so God will comfort you. So I would say, yes, I would agree with them that, that, that God is presented in the masculine and we should too, but taking that to its extreme ignores or neglects other good and biblical aspects. It elevates men and it views women as lesser than. Um, so they believe the masculinity of God is, is, is the, the paramount, the primary characteristic. They believe that the ultimate foundation of society is the family. Now again, that's not a bad thing. The problem is they take an extreme view of it. And when they take an extreme view of it, it becomes harmful, becomes dangerous, and it jumps outside of the square of biblical Christianity. And so a, a, a faulty view on the masculinity of God, an, an unhealthy overemphasis of the masculinity of God, an unhealthy and overemphasis of the, 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 the picture of the foundation of society being the family, that leads to an unhealthy view of male authority, whether it be in the home or in the local church. They believe that because God is male and the family is ultimate, that there isn't a time in a woman's life that she should not be under the authority of a man. So what that means, girls, oops, that means that, that would have been fun, um, when you're first born and you're a child, you're under the authority of your daddy. Now, should God permit and you get married? Well, then you're under the authority of your husband. Now, God forbid that something happens to your husband and you become a widow. If that happens, then you are uh, under the authority of a brother, maybe your son, or a pastor. But there isn't a time when you aren't lined up under the authority of another man. So those three things taken out of balance, and you end up with this warped view of both men and women. Here, let me read this to you. Um, I'm not a huge name, a name namer. I don't know if that's the way you say it. Um, uh, however, this one's dangerous, so I'll name it. Uh, this is an organization called Vision Forum. Uh, they, they are defunct, but not defunct. Uh, Vision Forum's founder was Doug Phillips. Uh, Doug Phillips um, I actually believe because of his beliefs in the area of patriarchalism, flamed out of ministry about three years ago. Um, I believe it has a lot to do with what his view of himself was and the view of women was. Um, that can happen. But that vision forum puts this forward as this is the patriarchal view. This is not Frank speaking. I don't want rocks thrown. <laughs> I don't want chairs being tossed in the air. This is somebody else. All right. Since the woman was created as a helper to her husband, as the bearer of children, and as keeper at home, the God-ordained and proper sphere of dominion for a wife is the household and that which is connected with the home. Okay, now listen. When you read that, a little uncomfortable, not terrible, but it keeps going. It is not the ordinary and fitting role of women to work alongside men as their functional equals in public spheres of dominion, industry, commerce, civil government, the military. 
The exceptional circumstance, this is their word in parentheses, not mine. The exceptional circumstance, singleness, ought not redefine the ordinary, God-ordained social roles of men and women as created. Um, when I read something like that, particularly that last sentence, now for, for some of you, you're going to read the rest of me, you're like, that just fires me up. The thing that fires me up is that last sentence about singles. As a dude who started ministry, the first 10 years of my ministry was a single adult ministry. As a guy who, who got to sit and, and work with single adults and listen to some of the horrible things that were said to them and see the damage that was done when we elevated marriage to an idol, this is disgusting. It is an unbiblical perspective that says, oh, you, you'll be a real Christian when you get married. But until then, they're there taught. Not to mention the obviously dangerous mindset that leads to the abuse of women within this system. See, if you view men as the supreme gender and women as lesser than, what happens when a woman makes an accusation of sexual abuse within the church? Well, if men are the supreme gender, then we must protect them at all costs. And it leads to further abuse of that woman. So it's not hard or difficult to see patriarchal's view of women in the local church. Women are not allowed to speak in the church in public, either at a meeting, in prayer, during worship. Their value is seen as they help the man in the home. They have no value in the spiritual formation of other people at the local church. Now that sets up this really interesting moment. So on this side, you got patriarchalism. It's like, men! And on this side, the feminists are like, women! It's not too difficult to see why some of those conversations get a little heated, right? What I want to make sure you understand is you see the next two as not being heated. Egalitarianism is our next one. Egalitarianism, if I was to put a phrase on it to help you remember what it is, egalitarianism is this. Same so same. Egalitarians would teach that a, a fully authoritative Bible supports the freedom of women to have authority and responsibility in all areas, including the offices of elder and pastor. Now, th there's a major difference between egalitarianism and feminism. Even though there's a little overlap there, there's a huge difference between the two. And let me explain to you what it is. Feminists, skeptical of the Bible, and they make most of their arguments out of pain. Egalitarians see the Bible as the authoritative word of God and use it as the source of their position. So that's the main difference there. The main difference between what we would believe, which we'll get into at the end here, and what egalitarians would teach, is that egalitarians would teach that male headship was a result of the fall, not how God designed us. And that when Jesus came and got victory over sin in the fall, the need for male leadership, the need for male headship, was gone. One of a, the, this is for you nerds out there, just, just got to throw this away. One of their main theologians in the egalitarian um, camp, egalitarian circle, is N.T. Wright. Uh, N.T. Wright would say that um, uh, when the resurrection of Jesus Christ occurred, then everything changed in that moment. They would make their appeal to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that says, there is therefore no longer any Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. 
We're all one in Jesus Christ. So, so they would make their appeal to Galatians 3, 28. They emphasized the importance of women filling many of the roles that were typically reserved for men in Scripture. And here's, here you go, ready? They are right. You go to Judges chapter 4, you see Deborah rise up from among the people and become the judge that leads her people out of oppression you read through the story of the prophetesses in the Old Testament. You've got Miriam, who is Aaron's sister-in-law. You've got Huldah, who was the, the prophetess who um, interacted with King Josiah. You look at the book of Acts, and you've got Philip's the evangelist, Philip the evangelist's four daughters who were prophesying. You go to Romans chapter 16, and you hear about this lady named Priscilla. And if you read Acts, you find out that Priscilla and her husband Achilla pull aside this fellow named Apollos, who was this up-and-coming star in evangelism at the time. And they pulled him aside, and it says they discipled him in the way so that he would be able to understand a little bit better the things of Jesus Christ. They're not wrong. Now, they do make mention of one that and, and they don't focus on it, but I'll make mention of it. In, in Romans 16, verse 7, there's a woman that is mentioned whose name is Junia. And the phrase is said, Junia was noteworthy among the apostles. The egalitarians would read that, and what their takeaway from that is, Junia was an apostle. Um, I, I, I disagree. I, I think I would look at that text a little bit differently. Uh, and the emphasis is on the wrong syllable in that situation, I think. Um, so, but that's, 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 that's really not one of their main points, but it's worth mentioning. So egalitarians then would not only deal with all the women who are mentioned who fill these roles, but they, they, they would also deal with some of the specific texts in the New Testament, um, like uh, the ones that I'll refer to. Ephesians and 1 Timothy. Ephesians, it says, women submit to your husbands. And in 1 Timothy, it says, um, I, I would not permit a woman to speak or, or have authority over a man. We're going to talk about that passage specifically in a few minutes. But, but, but they would look at those and say, okay, so Ephesians obviously is written to the church at Ephesus. Timothy is written to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And what they do is they see those texts with a cultural lens. And they say, what is happening in the church of Ephesus? We know this from reading 1 Timothy. There's false teachers who have come in and they're making a mess of things. And egalitarians would say the women at the church of Ephesus were the ones who were propagating the false teaching. And so what Paul was doing was looking at the church of Ephesus and saying, those women are causing problems. Do not give them a microphone. And so they would see those texts as being cultural in nature, not normative. Not God trying to establish his expectations for the church. So to answer the question, when it comes to egalitarians, what is the role of women in the local church? The, 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 the egalitarians would say all roles, including elder and pastor and deacon, are open and available to women. Okay? Bear with me and don't react right away. This is a trap. Sometimes it's more fun not to tell you much. You're like, it's more fun, but... Our position about egalitarianism is that they are wrong. But they're not our enemy. For far too long, folks, what we've done is if people disagree with us, we just try to harpoon them. Some of the most effective soul winners in America today hold the egalitarian position. Some of the most generous givers to missions and the work of the kingdom of God hold the egalitarian position. See, I want to make sure you understand that, that within that box of biblical Christianity, egalitarians are not our enemy. 
This is not a first-level issue. They're not denying. So, so what is a first-level issue? Here, I'll give you the big, the big five. You ready? Big five is this. The inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the necessity of the substitutionary atonement on your behalf so that you might have your sins forgiven. And I can't remember the fifth one. Just keeping it real with you. But those things, if they denied those, we would have issues. But we don't, because they don't. They just disagree with us on this area. So what do we believe? We would be, as a church, what is called complementarians. Um, uh, this is obnoxious, and I'm sorry, but it's really important. It is not complementarians. Spellers? It's not C-O-M, I gotta look, <laughs> C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T, compliment. It's not compliment. Compliment means to highlight, to flatter, to add praise to. Oh, what a lovely dress you're wearing today. No idea where that came from, that's okay. Um, it's not compliment, it's compliment. C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T, it's compliment. That means it's something that completes or makes perfect. It's either of the two parts or things needed to complete a whole. It's counterparts. And that's vital to this discussion because for far too long, complementarians have been living like complementarians. See, the woman exists to compliment a man, make him praiseworthy, shine the spotlight on him because, wow, it sounds patriarchal, doesn't it? It's not. It's compliment. It means we are equal in dignity, value, and worth. Complementarians, and that's the last time I'll say it, I promise, it says there, there is an understanding of completeness between male and female. Now, even though every male bears the image of God fully on his own and every female bears the image of God fully on her own, they do it in a unique and distinct way, but, but that the full truth of who God is isn't reflected by male alone or female alone. So the very real danger is if we compartmentalize sexes and gender, if we put women over there and men over here, we're not complete. We're incomplete. And God was really clear how that looked for Adam, wasn't he? Not good! And yet, we often drift that way. Men and women have different but completing roles and responsibilities. They each have been given spiritual gifts to equip the local church. These gifts are the same. They're also different than each other. Women do have vital roles to play within the New Testament church. We, we saw that not only in some of the, the references that I made with the egalitarians, but there's a number of other places. You go to Luke chapter 10, and you see that Jesus welcomed and taught women as he sat with Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 8, women were allowed to participate in his ministry. You've got Mary Magdalene and, and Suzanne and Joanna. You go to Titus chapter 2, there's a command to the older women to teach the younger women. Romans 16, <laughs> buckle up. Romans 16, Phoebe, probably a deacon. This is not an announcement, just pointing it out. Philippians chapter 4, you've got Euodia and Syntyche. I mean, they're, they're, they're battling, and Paul's like, get them to stop fighting. Those two labored side by side with me for the gospel. 
1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, you have Paul laying out the explanation and, 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 and the, the, the rules for women prophesying and praying in public. Okay, but that's not the point. Where the rubber meets the road is what is the biblical role of women in the church? So we as a church would see that God has called elders and pastors to preach, to provide oversight for the building up of the local body of Christ. We believe that role, that office, has been restricted to men by God. Let me, let me explain and give you some reasons. Take your Bible, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, for those of you who've been here for a little while, uh, you've heard me make mention of verses like in Song of Solomon and me make the statement, I will never preach Song of Solomon. Uh, the passage that I'm about to run through with you is one of those other passages I'm like, I ain't touching that one. God's sense of humor is amazing. <laughs> So we would see that God has called elders and pastors to preach and to provide oversight for the building up of the body of Christ. We would see that role in office is restricted to men based on three things. Number one, um, this isn't found in 1 Timothy 2. In 1 Timothy and in Titus, the qualifications for an elder pastor are listed out. It is plainly stated that in order to be qualified to be an elder or a pastor, it has to be a husband of one wife. A one-woman man. Um, so that's, that's there. Again, that's a strong argument. Not the strongest, but it's a strong argument. This next one, not a super strong argument, but in relation, when you take everything all together, it, it actually helps us our understanding. Second reason we believe this is if you look through the New Testament church, uh, the descriptions we have in Scripture, a female elder is never mentioned. Argument from silence, I get it, but it's still an argument. But then the other reason is here, found here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Men, may I encourage you not to be snarky with your wives right now. This one will get you hurt. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Telling you it's a trap. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived, and she transgressed. So one of the reasons we believe the role, the office of elder pastor is restricted to men is because 1 Timothy 2.12 teaches that a woman isn't to teach or to take authority over a man. Now, you may not remember this, but just a moment ago, I mentioned 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul lays out the Here's how women should pray in public and prophesy in public. Here's how that should work. This is how it should all lay out. And so what we take from that is that there is room for women to teach. But 1 Timothy 2, this passage here, seems to state that there is a, an authoritative teaching time that women shouldn't be doing. Um, personally, uh, I believe that that authoritative teaching time uh, would be this event. I'd call it Sunday morning service, but sometimes we don't do it on Sunday morning. The idea is it's the corporate gathering of the body of Christ and the public proclamation of God's word. Well, why? 
Why can't she do it? Okay, first, watch your attitude. Okay, second, <laughs> second, it's, it's not anchored in, in anything biological. It's not anchored in, in, in ability. It's not anchored in anything cultural. Paul anchors it, verse 13, in creation. He says, I, I, I would... I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she's to remain quiet. Why? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. I, uh, okay, what? I, I know. But you have to understand in the ancient Near East and the Hebrew culture that the order of priority means something enormous. And so for Adam to be, that's why when you read through the Old Testament and you see the firstborn, the firstborn, the firstborn, the firstborn, that means something enormous. And so for this culture, for them to hear, well, Adam was formed first, then Eve, that meant something. So it's anchored in creation. It's also anchored in seeing how Satan undermined God's creative order in his attack on Adam and Eve. You you do know that Genesis 3 tells us that Eve wasn't alone when Satan came to her. It made all those challenges about the goodness of God. Eve was not alone. Adam was there because after she ate of the fruit, it says she turned and gave it to him because he was there with her. And yet when Satan came to attack, in further rebellion, he didn't go through the proper channels. He decided to go after the, 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 the captain instead of the general. So, so one of the reasons we would say this is because it's anchored in the creative order. It's anchored in seeing how Satan has undermined God's creative order. And so because of that, I'm going to be honest with you, because of that, that's where we would disagree with the egalitarians about the headship of man, the, the leadership and authority of, of, of men in those relationships. We see those in existence before the fall. So let me, I'll just run through these super fast. I'm already a little after time. So, so you see this. God created Adam first, then he created Eve. God gave Adam the command not to eat. God created Eve to be a completer for Adam. Adam exercised leadership by naming all of the animals and then naming the woman. Serpent subverted God's pattern of leadership by tempting Eve instead of Adam. God came to the garden after the sin, and who was he looking for? Adam. Adam, you are responsible for the spiritual decisions that your wife just made. Men, See, okay, it's important to note, we're not saying that women are not able. We're also, and here's something, verse 14 has been ripped out of context. Verse 14, well, Eve was deceived. And so the reason that women can't be elders, pastors, is because uh, they're gullible. I have met dudes who are dumber than a box of rocks. They fall for everything under the sun. That is not true. The truth is because it's anchored in creation and because we saw how God subverted in further rebellion against God's created order. It's not that women aren't able because God places restrictions. Why? I don't know. How's that for an answer? I don't know. We just need to know that equal involvement in the church between men and women doesn't mean interchangeable involvement. Man, I... Men are not superior to women. Hear that without shame. Men are not superior to women. Women are not the second sex. We want to see women flourish, and we believe they do 
when men and women live together according to God's word. Women are are daughters of the king. They're, They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're given gifts by God. So they should be encouraged, admonished to use them. Now, just a word to women. Don't exercise your gifts in a way that emasculates men. And I'm gonna, you have to stick with me on this one, okay? Submission is a crazy word that we all get a little jumpy about. But what true submission is, it's not keeping your mouth closed. It's not keeping your informed opinion to yourself. It's not being a floor mat, a doormat. It's none of those things. What true submission is, and I, and I will brag on her because she's not here, is my wife. I, I like my wife, just in case you're wondering. It's kind of cool. But I'm going to tell you this right now. She is so much smarter than I am. That woman can argue like no one I've ever met. I have lost arguments that I was winning, should have won. I was right, and I still found a way to lose. But do you know why that is? She totally understands my psyche. She's not intimidated by me at all. I mean, I know you all are. When you look at me, you're like, ooh, he's intimidating. Yes, I am. What I mean by that is this. She's not intimidated by my degrees. She's not intimidated by the fact that I'll go and spend 10 to 12 hours on a Tuesday putting together the message for the upcoming Sunday. She's not intimidated Tuesday night when I sit down at dinner with her and say, hey, babe, I'm working on this for my sermon. What do you think about this? She doesn't sit there and be like, well, you know, I don't have an opinion. Being one of the smartest people I've ever met, she answers those questions, and I'm gonna be honest, her answers are always better than things I can come up with. She is able to challenge my thinking both, both in, in content and in character, and that's a gift to me. She sees my foolishness in ways none of you have to put up with. She sharpens me. And I know, you're like, you're sharp? You should have seen me 25 years ago when she first started. <laughs> she does it with respect. She does it in a way that shows me honor and respect, and she does it in a way that I don't deserve. And that's what we want for our women who call Uniontown their church. So let me wrap up with this. This is the desire of your elder team. I've got a list here that I'm going to run through. These are things that we would desire as a, to, 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 to get to, to attain as a church. It's this. We desire to remain humble, knowing we are going to have to make course corrections along the way. We desire to not claim we have it all right, while we condemn, it, condemn everybody else as having it wrong. We desire to better celebrate the sameness of man and woman created equal in dignity and value according to God's image. We desire to gladly celebrate the difference as it relates to specific roles within church leadership, pastors, and elders. Again, we believe the Bible reserves the office of elder and pastor for qualified men, men who will practice sacrificial servant leadership, not tyrannical control. And and while we gladly celebrate those differences, uh, apart from the role of office or office of elder and pastor, we believe the Bible not only encourages, but assumes that women will be involved in every other 
area of ministry within the church. Our desire is to celebrate the diversity of thought, practice, and concern that's brought to a table that sees both men and women in areas of leadership. That leadership can be formal. That leadership can be informal. The formal, somewhat obvious, uh, are staff members who are female, our, our lady staff members. Man, I'll tell you what, there are times we sit in that room and have a conversation and we mention things and then the ladies are like, well, did you think of this? And we're like, no, didn't think of that at all. That's a gift to us. Informal leadership? We have a number of informal female leaders within our church, and I, and I want to mention one because I think it's important. Um, one of our informal leadership teams is a group of women who are married to the elders and pastors. Our elders and pastors' wives. Uh, uh, do you know how hard it is to be the wife of an elder or a pastor? Think, think about it this way. For those of you that are aware, think about what happened here at Uniontown, say, five or six years ago. And you have the elders and pastors getting together regularly and just be like, I don't know what's going on. And they're, they're working on each other. They're able to, to get input from people and then they do output and they're able to have all these conversations. Like, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to do this? I don't know. This is crazy. And they're leaning on God and they go home and, and God bless them. That's all of us. Well, that's the way we do it. Their wives are like, so how'd it go? And they're, they're, not, they're not able to walk in the door and be like, well, bless God. Praise be to him. He'll be good. No, they walk in, they're like, we don't know what we're doing, honey, we're going to die, I don't know what we're supposed to do. And those women had to take all of that on their shoulders and never had an opportunity to do the output. They just kept receiving the stress. Those women, I believe, are part of the reason this church's doors remained open during those years. And they deserve thankfulness and gratitude from the local church, as well as their husbands. We desire to continue to move the ball down the field in these areas. So let me be brutally honest. This is gonna sting a little bit. Most traditional complementarians, that would be Uniontown. Most traditional Complementarians will claim the name of complementarian and then act like a patriarch. You know why? Because what that means is they have taken their eyes off of God and instead they're looking at, oh, don't want to be like them. I see the feminists over there. We don't want to be that. And so, no, you're not going to do that to us. You're not going to do that to us. You're not going to do that to us. And then eventually they fall into the ditch on the other side of the road because they've taken their eyes off of God. Our desire as a local church, our desire as your elder team is to continue to move the ball down the field and get to the place where we stop reacting and instead we fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith and put into practice things that make the most sense to use the gifts of the talented women and men who call Uniontown home. Um, I, I hope you hear this clearly. Women aren't only helpful to the local church. Women are essential to the church accomplishing the mission. Disciple-making does not happen without women. 
I'm not saying that women are permitted to participate in the church. I'm saying women must participate in the church. They're essential to that successful fulfillment of loving God most and loving others best. I don't care if you're male or female in this room right now. What you need to be focused on is loving him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We need to be a people who invest all of our time, energy, abilities, and opportunities in getting to know him more. We want to know him through more intentional study of the word. We want to know him through more intentional time in prayer. We want to respond to his goodness in our life with a worship that is marked by enthusiasm. You almost made it all the way through. It's my lightsaber. We want to be a people who are more known for belonging to Jesus than for anything else. We want to be a people who stand around before and after the service and talk about how good God is and not how good that running back was this week. Women, ladies, serve without reservation. Share your story with anybody who will listen and make a disciple. Men, if in your heart you are clutching your chest, (gasps) don't allow your insecurity to rule you. Get off your seat. Do it yourself. Your unwillingness to pursue Christ with your heart, soul, mind, and strength is no reason for our women to not pursue Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And why wouldn't we pursue him? Why wouldn't we pursue him? You remember? You're a sinner. You're separated from God because of your sin. And you can't do anything to, to, to bridge the gap of that separation. And in your hopelessness, God loved you. And he sent his son for you. And he took upon his shoulders the full wrath of God that you deserved. And he placed upon yours his righteousness so that now you and God are at peace. He is worthy. He is worthy of you paying more attention to him than to anything else. Would you? Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for a good morning. Thank you for the patience of your people. God, I thank you that even in these moments when uh, technology makes things difficult, that your word still reigns supreme. Thank you, Father, that uh, we can know you. Lord, I ask that you would give us the ability to pursue you like we haven't before. God, be with our women. The women of Uniontown, I pray, Father, that you would do something in their hearts that is earth-shaking. Lord, I ask that they would be so completely committed to you that even in their obedience to pursue you and serve you with reckless abandon, that we would see a great outbreak of revival. Pray for our men. Lord, may may they lead not because they're prodded, but because they understand what it is that you've done for them. May we make you happy. 
with our obedience today. Amen.